1: Now, due to the length of both shows tonight, I'll have to forego any remarks and just get right to the action. Our first program was aired in 1950, Dimension X and the Moon Be Still as Bright.
2: Adventures in time and space told in future tense. Dimension X. Tonight, transcribed from Ray Bradbury's collection, The Martian Chronicles, we present, And the Moon Be Still As Bright. The first three expeditions to Mars left Earth in a mushroom of flame, arced through the atmosphere, and finally dwindled to tiny specks in the big eye of Mount Palomar telescope, and then were lost to sight forever. The prearranged landing signals flashed back to Earth. And then the radios went dead. One after the other, ships had disappeared and were never heard from again. But still the rockets came. The fourth expedition emerged from the silent gulfs of space and angled down toward the floating red disk of
3: Mars, down into an orbit as the order came to land. Stand by for deceleration. Deceleration, aye, sir. Skid's down. Skids down, sir. Engine room. Engine room, I. Landing procedure, fire one, three, and five. Aye, sir.
2: The last blast of the bow jets broke red against the blue desert sands. And the ship slid to a halt at the edge of a vast city that reflected the icy glare of the moonlight. For a while all was still.
3: All right, Parkhill. Open the airlock. Hi, sir.
4: Fresh air. Yeah. How about a fire, Captain Wyler? It's freezing. Later we got work to do. Smell that uh, You could get drunk on it. Say, there's an idea. Why don't we break out a bottle and celebrate?
3: Biggs, there'll be no drinking done till we're secured. But, uh, we're landed, Captain. Three other expeditions landed and disappeared within 24 hours. We're not relaxing security till we find out what happened to them. Maybe... Martians? Exactly, Pargill. Spender, you're an archaeologist. How old would you say those buildings are? Somebody built these cities. I can't tell till I study them more
5: closely. It's a kind of engineering we couldn't duplicate on Earth. Those thin reed-like towers and the stone filigree wouldn't stand up under Earth pressure.
3: Beautiful, aren't they? I'm not interested in the architecture now. I want to make sure there's nothing there that might be dangerous. Mr. Hathaway. Yes, sir. I want you to take a reconnaissance party into the city and find out what's there.
6: The cities all look dead from the air, sir.
3: They look dead, but I want to make sure. Mr. Spender, you better go with Hathaway. Yes, sir. Don't waste any time gathering relics, either. You can make an archaeological study later. Right now, I want a security report. Biggs? Yes, sir. We'll set up camp right here. No man is to go more than 50 feet from the rocket. And there'll be no celebration till Hathaway and his party report back.
4: No, sir. It's, uh, just that, uh, we've been cooped up in the... That's episode. all, Biggs.
3: We've landed safely. We're not safe yet. Not until we know what we're up against here. We'll maintain full security till Hathaway gets back.
2: In the sea bottoms, the wind stirred along faint vapors... And from the mountain's great stone visages looked upon the silvery rocket and the small fire. The sky was black overhead as the two racing moons threw knife-edged double shadows on the desert.
4: All right, come and get it, cow.
7: What
8: you got to eat,
4: Cherokee? Sawdust, smothered in cold lamb fat. Good, I thought it was something I couldn't eat. <laughs> hey,
8: you guys,
5: pipe
6: down. Captain. Mr. Hathaway's back. Uh, Captain! Captain Wiley! Over here, Mr. Hathaway. Well? Most of the city is dead, sir. Spender says it's been dead a good many thousand years. But we found one part about a mile over. What about it? People were living in it last week, sir. People? Martians. I see.
3: Where are they now?
5: Dead. We found the bodies. Thousands of bodies. They hadn't been dead more than ten days.
3: What did they die of?
5: You won't believe it. What killed them? Chicken pox chicken pox? Yes, I made tests. It worked differently on Martians than on Earth people. Burned them black and dried them out to brittle flakes.
3: But where could they get chickenpox? From Earth, sir. And the other rockets did get through. Yes, sir.
6: I don't know what the Martians did to them, but I sure know what they did to the Martians. Gave them chicken pox and wiped them out. They just didn't have any resistance to an Earth disease. There aren't any of them left? There won't be any. When a thing like that starts spreading, sir, there's no stopping it anywhere. It's a thousand to one that's killed them all. This planet is through.
5: Incredible. Think of it, Captain. A dirty, silly child's disease like chickenpox. It isn't right. Spender, take it easy. You know, it's, it's like saying the Greeks died of mumps or, or the proud Roman Empire collapsed because of athlete's foot. We didn't even give them a decent excuse for dying. We just gave them chickenpox. Spender, get hold of yourself. We didn't see
3: those bodies, Captain. It must have been a shock, I suppose. You need a rest, a little relaxation. Martians are dead. There's nothing you can do about it now.
4: Hey, you hear that? The Martians are all dead. Well, come on, let's break out a bottle and whoop we'll it up. How about it, Captain? Well, all right, man. All right, fine.
3: Hathaway, seat of the security you? guard. Yes, sir. <laughs> Good Lord, do they have to do that now? It's been a tough trip. It's only natural they'd
5: want to celebrate a little. Celebrate because the world died because a rotten little virus from Earth wiped out a whole
3: civilization? Well, they're not thinking of Isn't that. Isn't it
5: time later to throw old beer cans into the canals? A civilization died here. It's like butchering a pig in a churchyard.
3: Brenda, you think too much. We're lucky to get to Mars without catching a meteor in our bulkheads. <laughs> Let it go at that.
4: Save on Mars. The first statement, save on Mars. We've got to celebrate.
9: <laughs> yeah.
2: Many bottles were opened and drunk. The voices got louder. The earth laughs and shouts echoing across the empty Martian sands. There
4: was that time in New York when I ran into that blonde. Boy, what a blonde. Listen, the first thing she said... To me.
2: Bender listened to the wind over his ears, cool and whispering. He felt the land getting cooler. The stars grew closer, very clear. The air smelled clean and new. He looked at the cool ice of the white Martian buildings over there on the empty sea lands. What a
4: woman. What a woman. How about it hey, what do we do with these empty bottles? Save them. There's a two-cent deposit. Throw <laughs> them away. Hey, wait! How about that building? Do to one for a buck, I can heat one right through that window. You're right. Here goes. <laughs> Bullseye! Yeah, I am cool a butt. Double or nothing on the next shot? Put that bottle down, Figs. Who's that, Mr. Spender? Stop smashing those windows. What's the difference? The planet's ours now. I guess I can do anything with it that I want. Drop that bottle, or I'll knock your teeth out. Yeah? Just watch me. I warned you, Figs. Spender!
7: Spender,
3: what is this?
4: I hit him. He's
3: crazy, Captain. He just walked up and slugged me. Beggs wasn't doing that. All right, let go of him. You men go back to your party. Spender, come with me. I like that guy.
7: Just
5: walks up and slugs
3: me. Spender, suppose you explain. What was the idea?
5: Oh, the noise, the drunken brawl. I guess I was ashamed of the spectacle the whole crew was making. Where's their respect for what's happened?
3: Their sense of what's right. Men are tired. It's been a long trip. You've got a different way of seeing things.
5: I'm seeing things, all right. I'm seeing how we'll ruin Mars. We'll rip it up, rip the skin off the way we've already ruined Earth. (sighs) We Earthmen have a talent for ruining big, beautiful things. Is that why you hit bigs? Yes, I couldn't stand the idea of them watching us make fools of ourselves. Them? The Martians. The Martians? They're dead. All dead. They know we're here. Doesn't an old thing always know when a new thing comes? We've come a long way to smash their windows and spit in their wine. Well, maybe you're right.
3: I'm fining you $50 for that fight. Now suck in your shin. We'll go back there and play happy.
2: Now the whole party moved out into the moonlight across the desert. They made their way into the dreaming dead city. The light of the racing twin moons glinted on the barrel of a pistol the long blade of a machete, the round, gurgling shape of a raised bottle. Their shadows under them were double shadows on the ice-blue sand. They were waiting, waiting for something to stir in the dead city, something to rise, some ancient ancestral shape to come galloping across the vacant sea bottom on an ancient armored steed of impossible lineage of unbelievable derivation. Look at it, Captain. Down
5: those avenues in the mist, you can almost see them.
2: The mind's eye populated the dead city. Each window was given a person who leaned from it and waved slowly, as if under some timeless water, at some moving form in the fathoms of space below the moon-silvered towers. There were faint murmurs of sound, and odd animals scurrying across the grey-red sands. The wind blew in from the dead sea bottom and brushed through the silvery wire filigree of the towers strange music drifted down to the double-shadowed streets, a thin, haunted music that played as it had played through the uncounted years of time. Nobody moved. The moons held and froze them. The wind beat slowly around them. Hey, out there!
4: You people in the city! Picks! Boy, I just wanted to make a little noise. Come on. They built this city
5: thousands of years ago. Now, where are they? How did they die? Who cares? They're dead. It's good enough for me. Uh, Lord Byron. What? Lord Byron, an old 19th century poet. He wrote a poem that fits this city. Might have been written by the last Martian. So we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night. Though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword outwears the sheath, and the soul outwears its breast, and the heart must pause to breathe, and love itself must rest. Though so the night was made for loving, and the day returns too soon, yet we
2: will go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. Without a word, the Earth Men stood in the center of the city, It was a clear night. There was not a sound except the music of the wind. At their feet lay a tile court worked into the shapes of ancient animals and images. They stood there, silvered by the double moons beneath the crystal towers of Mars. Then Biggs was sick, and the sour stench of liquor filled the cool air. The men of Earth had come to Mars, and Spender turned and walked away into the city alone in the moonlight, never once stopping to look back.
3: That you, Hathaway? Yes, sir. My
6: trick on watch, sir. What time is it? Oh, 400 Any orders, sir?
3: No, I'll stay on watch. You turn in.
6: Aren't you sleeping, sir?
3: I'll wait for Spender.
6: He didn't come in?
3: No. He's crazy.
6: Walking away into the shadows, he didn't even look back. Spender's a strange man. He's crazy, sir. How's the rest of the crew? Sleeping it off. Biggs had DTs, but he's calmed down now.
3: You can go back below, Hathaway. I'll take your watch.
6: Captain Wilder. Do you think Spendel'll be coming in before morning? I don't know. You know, sir, I don't think he's ever coming back. That's the way I feel about him, sir. He'll never come back.
2: It was a morning that might have been a Monday, or a Tuesday, or any day on Mars. Biggs was on the canal rim, his feet hung down in the cool water, soaking, while he took the sun in his face. What are you doing back here,
4: Biggs? Didn't you go out with the search party? Yeah, I come back. I got a blister. Sure, sure. What do you mean? Look. Look, Cherokee, you see that? <laughs> anyway, I had enough search and four days hunting for that screwball spender. Didn't find him yet, huh? Nah good riddance. Oh, my feet, I'm gonna soak them good. If I was wild, I wouldn't worry about that nut spender. Let him go. He's a crackpot anyway. A little foggy upstairs, I guess. Why don't you take your feet out of that canal, Biggs? I gotta make coffee out of that water. Coffee? You call that stuff coffee? I had a motorcycle once, that dripped grease that tasted better than that... Wait a
8: minute. Pigs. Look over there.
4: Where? By that bush. There's someone there. Hey. Uh, It's him. Hey, Spender! Spender? He's coming over. Why didn't he stay lost, the crazy jerk? Hi, Spender. Long time no see.
5: Hello, Cherokee.
4: I've been exploring some ruins. (laughs) You and them ruins. You're like a dog in a... in a bone yard. What's the matter? Where you been? Up
5: in the hills. What would you say if I told you I found a Martian? Where? Never mind. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you were a Martian and people came to your land and started to tear it up?
3: I know how I'd feel. I've got Cherokee blood in me. My grandfather told me lots of things about the way they kicked the Indians around in the Oklahoma Territory... there's any martian
4: around i'm all for him how about you biggs they're dead they're all dead a good thing too well i found a martian up in a dead
5: town in the hills i've been reading their books they're easy to understand i've learned their language then i found this martian he said give me your boots and i did he said give me your uniform and i gave him my uniform a crazy spender Hey, Cherokee, he's crazy. And the Martian said, give me your gun, and I gave him my gun, and then he said, come along and watch what happens. And the Martian walked down into camp, and he's here
4: now. I don't see no Martian. I'm the last Martian. What? Biggs, I'm going to kill you. They cut it out. What kind of a lousy joke is that? Stand up and take it. Hey, put that gun away, Spender.
6: Yeah, hey, cut it, Spender.
4: Don't. Put that gun away. <laughs> You're joking. You're kidding, huh? Spender? <laughs> He's dead You he killed him
5: You can come with me, Cherokee You know how the Martians would feel You can be in this with me
4: You killed him You, you just killed him He deserved it You're crazy but, Well,
5: maybe I am but, but you can come with me Come with you? For no. what? Go on, go on Get out of here, you, you crazy murderer all of them, I thought you'd understand I thought you'd remember what happened to your own people You, you
6: get out of here, you, you, you crazy Don't murderer for that guy <laughs> they're both dead captain wilder who's missing only spender it must have been him sir why didn't he come and talk to me why didn't he talk to me I shot his brains out. That's what I'd have done. He
3: took him by surprise. There's no sign of a struggle. Hathaway, break out the arms locker. Issue pistols, rifles, and grenades. Yes, sir. You better get the Bible out of the navigation chest. We'll have to bury these two. Parkhill. Aye, sir. You start digging a grave.
6: How about Spender?
3: We'll have to go up in the hills and find him. Just let me at him with my bare hands. Crazy murder and louse. That's enough, Parkhill. The man is sick. He must be. Sick my That's enough. I. Now grab a shovel, start digging.
2: Spender saw the thin dust rising in the valley, and he knew the pursuit was beginning. The sun burned farther up the sky, and the blue sand drifted lazily across the sea bottom below. He sat beside a quiet pool 10,000 years old, and held a silver book. Through the house played the strange wind music of ancient Mars. And he heard voices whisper in his mind.
4: Earth, Earth,
2: man, I hear you. Earth, I've always heard
5: man, you, even down there on Earth.
4: Run, 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 mm,
5: run. I won't on What's the use?
4: Run, Earth, Earth,
7: man, man,
4: live what for? To see them Earth, tear down Earth, your temples
5: man, and put up hot dog stands?
7: run, 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 run. Run, run. <laughs>
4: they've seen
5: me. They know I'm up here. There's Wiley now. Got him right in my sights. Funny he hasn't ordered me to use grenades. He could lob one right up here and blow me to bits. And maybe the captain thinks I'm too nice to be blown to bits. He wants my death to be clean. Yeah, just one bullet hole in me, nothing messy. And why? Because he understands me.
7: Kill, kill, He's
5: the only one in the crew who ever did. Well, at least I can do the same for him. Kill, Just one bullet in his heart, a nice clean death. All I have to do is pull the trigger and then. (laughs) It's no use. I can't do it to him.
3: Spender! Spender! Can you hear me, Spender? Yeah, I hear you, Captain. What do you want? Talk! Truce!
5: All right, come on up. Leave your gun down there and keep your hands up.
3: Spender, are you there? Over here. It's quite a climb. Mind if I sit down? Cigarette? Thanks. Light? Yeah, got my own. It's warm. It is. You comfortable up here in the hills? Quite. How long do you think you can hold out?
5: About 12 men's worth.
3: Why didn't you kill all of us this morning when you had the chance? You could have.
5: I know. I, I got sick. After I started killing people, I realized they were just fools and I shouldn't be killing them. But it was too late, so I came up here where I could get angry again.
3: Why did you do it?
5: Because I've seen what... I've seen that what these Martians had was just as good as anything we'll ever hope to have. They stopped where we should have stopped a hundred years ago. They knew how to combine science and art and religion. They knew how to live with dignity and peace. And for that reason, you started shooting people? When I was a kid, my folks took me to visit Mexico City. I'll always remember the way my father acted, loud and big. My mother didn't like the people because they were dark and didn't wash enough. Can see my mother and my father coming to Mars and acting the same way. Anything that's strange is no good to us. We aren't fit to take over this planet.
3: But kill two men. What could I do? It's me against the whole Earth.
5: Isn't it enough they've ruined one planet now they want to ruin this one? I'll kill you all off, Wilder. That'll delay the next rocket five years. And I'll kill them, too. I'm lucky I'll live to be 60. I'll meet every expedition that lands on Mars. I'll be very friendly. I'll explain that our rocket blew up one day. and I'll kill them off. I'll save Mars for half a century. And by then, maybe the
3: Earth people will give up. You got it all planned. Yes. Yet you're outnumbered. We already have you surrounded. In an hour, you'll be dead.
5: I, I found an underground passage that'll take me back into the hills Wyler. I'll go back there, and then I'll pick you off one by one.
3: Yeah. We'll see. It's a nice town you got here, Spender. Beautiful. I'd like to live here. You can. But join me. You're not like them.
5: I'll show you what a good life these people had. I'll play you an old reel of Martian music that must be at least
3: 50,000 years old, a kind of music you've never heard in your life. That mm-hmm. it- sounds wonderful but I can't stay with you. Sorry, Spender. I'm sorry this is happening.
5: I guess you'd better go back now so you can start your attack. I guess so. Captain, I... I won't kill you. When it's all over, you'll still be alive. Then maybe you'll change your mind.
3: No. There's too much earth blood in me. I may even agree with you about all this, but that doesn't change what I've got to do.
5: You won't stay? No.
3: This is your last chance, Spender. You're sick. Come along with me quietly.
5: Now. Look, one last thing. If you win, do me a favor. Try to see that they don't tear this planet apart. Right. If, if it helps... Just think of me as a very crazy fellow who went circ one summer day. It'll be
3: easier on you that way. I'll think it over. So long, Spender. Bye, Captain. Good luck. All right, we'll go after him now. Hathaway, you take the right, I'll lead on the left. You have to kill him, he won't come down. Make it a clean shot if you can. Get it over with. I'll blow his bloody brains out. No, Park Hill, through the heart. Brains. You heard what I said. Through the heart. Now let's go get him.
2: They spread out again, walking and then running on the hot hillside places where there would be sudden cool grottos that smelled of moss and sudden, open, blasting places that smelled of sun on stone. The men ran and ducked, and ran and squatted in the shadows. Blow
8: his brains out! Just one slug, that's all he needs!
2: Captain Wilder hugged the rock, warmed by the sun. He gasped for the air was thin and not meant for running. Spender lay at the top of the hill, and a gap in the rocks showed the white of his shirt against the shadows. Wilder looked at the towers of the little clean Martian village like sharply carved chess pieces lying in the afternoon. He saw the rocks and the interval between where Spender's chest was revealed.
3: Go on, Spender, get out. You've only got a few seconds to escape. Get out to the caves and come back later. Go now, Spender, or I've got to end it. I've got to think I'm right and pull the trigger. Go now.
5: Get out. I'll get him. Slug in the head. I'll blow his bloody... Bite.
3: No, Park Hill, put down that gun. I've got to do this myself. Spender. Why didn't you get out? Why? Why?
2: They buried him in that ancient valley town where the music of the wind played on through the days and the nights. They laid him in an ancient silver sarcophagus with waxes and wines which were ten thousand years old, his hands folded on his chest. The last they saw of him was his peaceful face in the cold silver light of the racing twin moons. The captain found the poem in Spender's pocket, and he read it before he shut the marble door.
3: So we'll go no more a-roving, so late into the night, though the heart be still as loving, and the moon be still as bright. Though the night was made for loving, and the day returns too soon, yet we will go no more a-roving by the light of the moon.
2: The next afternoon, Park Hill did some target practice in one of the dead cities, shooting out the crystal windows and blowing the tops off the fragile towers. Captain Wilder caught Parkhill and nearly knocked his teeth out. of you regular listeners to Dimension X will be interested to know that our show is changing its day and time of broadcast over this station. Starting early in November, we'll be back at the new time. We suggest you watch your local newspaper and be sure to join us in about four weeks for a new series of adventures into the unknown world of tomorrow, the world of Dimension X.
10: Tonight, Dimension X is transcribed And the moon be still as bright Adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy From the original story by Ray Bradbury Featured in the cast Were Alexander Scorby as Spender Wendell Holmes as Captain Wilder And your host and narrator for the story Norman Rose Music by Albert Berman Engineer Bill Chambers Dimension X is directed by Edward King This is Robert Warren speaking
1: Stay tuned for Don Amici and the gang in another episode of The Bickersons. Time now for The Bickersons and the show entitled John's Snoring.
10: From Hollywood, it's dream time. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the 12th in a series of new programs produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Donna Michi. Blanche, let me
11: sleep, will you? Danny Thomas... Progress. You called this progress? Kaiser is driving Fraser on, on a motorcycle.
10: <laughs> and our glamorous dream girl, Frances Langford, who sings...
9: The moon belongs to everyone For you and me, the flowers in spring, the robins that sing, the sunbeams that shine, they're yours, they're mine, love has come.
10: Before dream.
12: Right, never before dream could any shampoo reveal all the natural brilliance of your hair.
10: Never before dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous yet so easy to manage. When you dream your hair, you bring out all its sparkling highlights. When you dream your hair, you glamorize all its soft, thrilling texture. And when you dream your hair, you remove all luster-dulling soap film and unsightly dandruff. More, DREAM's rich whipped cream lather leaves your hair easier to set... Easier to curl, easier to arrange right after shampooing.
12: So, for lovely lustrous hair for all types of hair,
10: use Dream shampoo with hair conditioning action. Never before Dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous yet so easy to manage. D-R-E-N-E, Dream shampoo. And now here is your host for the evening, Don Amici. Thank
8: you, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Francis, before you get away, I want to tell you that I thought your song was delightful. And Toby, your commercial was stimulating. And Carmen, your music was magnificent. Boy, you feel great tonight, don't you? Oh, I certainly do, Carmen. Do you realize that it's March, the month of heralds Spring? Oh, I just love March. Beautiful March. Me too. In
1: fact, I'm looking forward to every month this year, romantic April, delightful May, enchanting June, exotic July.
8: Carmen, you've got the soul of a poet. No, I've got an
1: Esquire calendar. (laughs)
8: Well, I hope you and your calendar are very happy together. But as for me, I have spring fever. Uh, Francis. Yes, Don? I'd like to drop over to your house about 8.30 tonight. I'll put the top down of my convertible. And, and oh,
12: was...
13: I'm so sorry, Don, but I sort of half promised Danny Thomas I'd keep him company while he's experimenting with his new chemistry set.
8: Oh, Francis, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? He won't pay any attention to you. He's had his eye glued to that microscope for three days now.
13: Three days?
8: Yes, that poor soul is trying to outstare a germ. <laughs> he hasn't got an ounce of romance in his body.
13: Oh, I'm sure he has, Don. Did you ever notice his soulful
12: round eyes...
8: Did you ever see square ones? Why, <laughs> as far as he's concerned, spring is ge- oh, there he is now. The germ must have won.
12: Danny,
13: Danny Thomas. Hello. Hello, everybody. Isn't it wonderful, Danny?
11: What's wonderful?
9: Spring will soon be here. It
8: will. Yeah, can't you feel it? Can't you feel those soft, balmy breezes? Does something to a man,
11: eh, Danny? Oh, I know just what you mean, Don. You do? Yeah, it makes you want to get out the old kite and fly the tail of it,
8: boy. Say, <laughs> hey, uh, uh,
11: Danny, have you have you ever thought about girls? Oh, girls. They fascinate me every time I see them walking down the street in their dainty open-toed shoes. Sure, I, I think about them a lot.
13: What do you think about them, Danny? will not their toes ever get cold? <laughs>
8: Danny, when a fellow's your age, he doesn't spend all his evenings reading popular mechanics or building a speckled bird's egg collection.
11: Doesn't romance mean anything to you? Of course it does, Don. If I may quote from the classics, in the words of the immortal Hildegard. (laughs) She's wonderful, Hildegard. I should only wear my nose the way she wears her hair. (laughs) Je vous aime beaucoup. Toujours le mot, mon petit chéri.
13: Oh, that's beautiful, Danny. What does it mean?
11: If I knew, wouldn't I say it in English? (laughs)
8: See, what did I tell you, Francis? Danny, you ought to get yourself a girl.
11: Ah, love is only for women.
8: I've heard of a few men who are interested in it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm afraid there'll never be any romance in your life.
11: Ah, I guess you're right, Don. I'm kind of like parsley on a piece of fish. I look all right, but nobody wants me.
13: <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that, Danny. I'm sure there must be somebody.
11: Well, yesterday I did have kind of a date with the girl next door. We went to the movies, and the three of us had a great time. The three of you? Yeah, me and my girl and the fellow I brought along for her. (laughs) You brought a fellow along for your girl? Yeah, she makes me. She's boy crazy. (laughs) Obviously. He wasn't much of a fellow, though. A little on the dumb side. The dumb side? Yeah, what a dope. He spent 75 cents to see a movie and waste the whole evening hugging and kissing my girl. (laughs)
8: sounds a bit like an overstatement.
11: Oh, no, it isn't, Don. She told me that her heart belongs to me. She did. It's just that the rest of her likes to go out with other fellows.
8: <laughs> Danny, maybe you better stick to your chemistry set. What do you mean? Ah, oh, you're not with it. You're not on the ball. In everyday life, you're just not making any progress.
11: Progress. <laughs> you know why I'm not making any progress? Because I don't want to. You think this age of speed and tempo is good for you? Well, frankly, I never gave it much thought. Um, give it some thought, Don. Progress. Have you seen the new 1948 cars?
8: No, but I'd like to buy one. I can't afford a used car.
11: I'm serious about this. Things are moving too fast. You know, they say the two biggest features on the new cars are air brakes and unbreakable windshields. Now you can speed up to 200 miles an hour and stop on a dime. Then you press a special button, and a putty knife scrapes you off the windshield. (laughs) Well, that's a handy gadget. Well, don't take it so lightly, Don. I mean, there's such a thing as too much progress. For instance, one of man's most priceless privileges, sitting down to dinner with his family, uh, simple little pleasure like that is in jeopardy. Why, the other day, my doctor showed me the latest invention in medical science. It's a little pill. Contains the equivalent of an entire meal. Soup, salad, steak, baked potato, choice of three vegetables, a (laughs) cup of coffee and a big piece of apple pie a la mode, and two toothpicks. (laughs)
8: Ah, you're joking.
11: No, not. I tried one, but a horrible thing happened. When I took the pill, it was upside down. Well, what's so horrible about that? I ate the dessert first. What happened to the toothpicks? Don't be such a wise guy,
8: will you? Oh, now, wait a minute, Danny. Progress has more good features than bad ones. Have you read about the new stockings for women guaranteed not to get runs? They're made out of cold wood and rubber. So
11: what? Instead of runs, they'll get clinkers, splinters, and blowouts. <laughs> Inventions, inventions, innovations. Uh, years ago, when a woman wanted to go to sleep, she simply put on a nightgown and went to bed. The day before she gets into bed, she puts on hair crimpers, wrinkle erasers, dimple depressors, ear flatteners, nose straighteners. Uh, if a man wants to kiss his wife goodnight, he has to battle his way through $12 worth of hardware. <laughs>
8: You know, Danny, you got me convinced. Let's both go back and play with your chemistry set.
11: Now you're talking sense, Don. <laughs> Progress is all right, but it has to be harnessed. Now look, I'd like to show you my new formula. It'll revolutionize present-day living.
8: What is it? Beverage. Uh, what's it made of? Shh. <laughs> liquid. <laughs> mm, a liquid beverage.
11: Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Mm. Now with study and forethought. And research and more thought, I have discovered something new. My magic elixir is the wonderful fixer of anything that's wrong with you. I'll bottle it and I'll attain fame. The whole world will honor my name. Drink Thomas Cola. And you'll whistle at the girls once more. If you're half alive and you're ninety-five, Thomas Cola makes you feel like ninety-four. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Cola, it has sparkle and it's cool and keen. I can't rave enough. You will love the stuff unless you don't like the taste of kerosene. Now, if you're looking wrong. And you're feeling duller. You really have no excuse. Thomas Cola will give your cheeks some color. Purple, blue, and chartreuse. (laughs) Drink Thomas Cola. Fill your glass and take a healthy slug.
1: It's a real
11: surprise. Makes your spirit rise. While the rest of you just lies there on the rug.
10: Listen to testimonials from all over the world. From Milan, Italy, we hear from Mr. Antonio Garibaldi Tommaso.
11: Well, I tell you. I first tried Thomas Cola when I was 20 years old. And today, 10 years later, I'm very happy to say I am now 30 years old. Thomas Cola. that's for me. That's why I'm as happy as I can be. I drink a wine until my top she blows. And with the Thomas Cola, I always wash my clothes.
13: Thomas <laughs> And now
11: we hear from the
10: Earl of Thomas, one of the leading literary lights of England, being interviewed.
13: Milord, if you had your choice, would you select wine or Thomas Cola?
11: Wine? Or Thomas Cola, you say? Well, my lady. Wine, when aged in casks of choice elk, pervades my spirit like exotic incense. A thousand violins throb in my head. I am wafted in fleecy clouds to the seventh heaven above the seventh heaven. <laughs> I respond to its delicacy of flavor with the infinite me that has existed throughout the eternity. Whereas, my lady, Thomas Cola. Yes? Yes? Thomas Cola makes me burp. <laughs>
10: in Lower Africa. Let's listen to Mr. Thomas himself addressing a group of natives.
11: Ogla, ugwa, bola, zango, bongo, thomas, cola. congo lava, wato, nico, back, Ba)
10: 50, not seventy-five, but one hundred percent true.
12: Yes, it's one hundred percent true. Dream shampoo actually reveals all the natural sparkle, all the sheen, all the dazzling brilliance of your hair.
10: Right. Never before Dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous. Now that's because Dream is not a soap shampoo, so can't leave dulling soap film on your hair to hide its natural beauty. And what's more, Dream does not dry out your hair. Instead, its fragrant, freshening, whipped cream lather leaves your hair sublimely smooth, beautifully behaved, easier to set, and arrange right after shampooing. And Dreen removes unsightly dandruff the first time you use it.
12: So, for lovely, lustrous hair, for all types of hair, dry, normal, or oily, use Dream shampoo with hair conditioning action.
10: Use Dreen at home or ask for Dreen at your beauty shop. Buy Dream at all drug department or Ten Cent stores in the familiar blue and yellow package. Remember, never before Dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous yet so easy to manage.
12: Yes, your hair can have that dazzling sheen the very first time that you use
10: Dream. Yes, your hair can have that dazzling sheen the very first time that you use Dream. <laughs> And now Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over. And here is lovely Francis Langford with a special arrangement of Sonata by Carmen Dragon and the orchestra.
9: (laughs) Sonata. Holding am
10: As we promised you, Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas' as brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson wrestles the bedclothes in sympathetic agony as poor husband John, victim of a rare type of insomnia which manifests itself in alternate periods of coma and narcolepsy, reaches the crisis during an acute stage of the ailment. Listen.
7: So <laughs> oh, oh
13: dear, now he's scaring himself to death. <laughs> John, John. Mm-hmm. Are you in pain?
8: Are you in pain, Blanche?
13: What's the matter with you?
8: What's the matter, Blanche?
13: Stop repeating everything I say like a parrot. Why do you repeat everything?
8: Hmm?
13: Why do you repeat everything?
8: You just said that.
13: I know I did.
8: Why do you repeat everything? Keep repeating everything like a parrot.
13: Very funny. I'll bet you're a riot with those broken-down friends of yours. I never want them in this house again.
8: None of my friends have ever been in this house.
13: Why not? Are you ashamed of me?
8: I'm not ashamed of you.
13: Then why don't you invite them here? Because they're a bunch of bums.
8: They're not bums.
13: When we got married, I gave up all my girlfriends. Why don't you do it?
8: Okay, I'll give up all your girlfriends.
13: (laughs) I wish we could meet some nice people. You should belong to a lodge or something. Why don't you join the Elks, John?
8: I'll join next week.
13: You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you join now? What? Go on, get up and join me out.
8: (laughs) are you out of your mind? It must be three o'clock in the morning.
13: It's only half past two.
8: Oh, why don't you let me sleep? You know I have to get up early.
13: I won't let you sleep, because if you sleep, you'll snore. Then you'll wake me, and I'll wake you, and we'll argue, and I won't get any sleep.
8: I promise, I won't snore.
13: You always snore. Week in, week out. On Monday you snore, Tuesday you snore, Wednesday you snore, Thursday you snore, Friday you snore, Saturday you snore. So what do you do tonight? Oh, what's the use? He's having that dream again. John, John, you said you wouldn't snore. Yes, dear. Turn over on your side.
8: Yes, dear. Yes, dear What'd you say, Blanche?
13: I didn't say anything That was an automobile backfiring Oh John
8: hmm?
13: Close the window It's cold outside
8: If I close the window Will it be warmer outside?
13: Oh, get up and close it I'm freezing to death
8: Put a pan under it I'll have the plumber in the morning
13: John, I have indigestion I've never been so sick In all my life
8: All right, Blanche I'm awake. Now, what's the matter with you?
13: I don't feel good, John. Call the doctor.
8: You don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where does it hurt you?
13: Right here, in the pit of my stomach. It's a shooting pain, and it comes about every five minutes.
8: How long does it last?
13: At least a quarter of an hour.
8: How can it last a quarter of an hour if it comes every five minutes?
13: (laughs) Don't yell at me. I'm sick. If I say the pain lasts a quarter of an hour, then it lasts a quarter of an hour. Okay. I think it's that dinner we ate at the goosebies. The fish disagreed with me.
8: It wouldn't dare.
13: I never want to eat there again. Every mouthful was poison. And the portions were so small.
8: Why, you ate like you were condemned.
13: Well, you have to be polite when you go to dinner. I wish we hadn't eaten anything. I'm suffering so call the doctor.
8: Oh, now, don't get hysterical. It's just indigestion. I know how to treat it. I'll fix you some hot ginger ale and oatmeal.
13: Hot ginger ale?
8: Make a new man of you.
13: John Bickerson, I don't want any of your insane remedies. You'll treat me for indigestion and I'll probably die of liver trouble. Listen,
8: if I treat you for indigestion, you'll die of indigestion. (laughs)
13: Now,
8: do you want me to help you or not?
13: Not if you're going to yell at me like that. You wouldn't yell at Gloria Gooseby if she got sick. Now,
8: don't start with Gloria Gooseby.
13: I saw you two at the dinner table playing footsies Footsies You were so flustered when she smirked at you, you couldn't eat
8: I was not flustered
13: Then why did you put gravy on your ice cream? I
8: always put gravy on my ice cream I love gravy on anything and you know it
13: In A likely story ah. And the gown that woman was wearing She ought to be arrested I think she purposely swallowed that fish bone so you could stroke her back
8: I didn't stroke her back, I patted it and I'd have done that if she hadn't swallowed the fishbone.
13: I mean, if she hadn't been wearing that gown. I don't know how Leo stands for it. He's such a wonderful man, and Gloria's always playing sick around him just to get sympathy. Uh. A lot you care what happens to me. Every time Gloria gets a headache, Leo hugs and kisses her and fawns over her. Why don't you do that?
8: I'm never there when she has a headache.
13: I mean, why don't you fuss over me?
8: Now, listen, Blanche, you're not sick, and you know it.
13: Well, I'm depressed. You're going out of town tomorrow, and I'll be so lonesome I'll die.
8: I'm only going overnight. I'll be back on Tuesday.
13: If you cared for me, you wouldn't leave me. I'm not
8: leaving you. I have to go on business, and I won't be gone over 24 hours.
13: Suppose a burglar breaks in the house and finds me.
8: It'll serve him right. (laughs) Now let me sleep, please, Blanche. I have to make an early train.
13: We've never been separated before. I'm afraid absence will conquer your love.
8: Oh, no. The longer I'm away from you, the better I'll like you.
13: I don't like the way that sounded.
8: Well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do?
13: Say absence makes the heart grow fonder.
8: Absence makes the heart grow fonder.
13: That's the most stupid saying in the world. What? Look at what happened to Mel Shaw. He left his wife alone for two weeks, and now he's the unhappiest man alive. And you know why?
8: She was still there when he came home.
13: She was not. Louise got lonesome and she ran off with the upholsterer. When Mel came home and found out what happened, he went right out and got so drunk, they had to take him to a sanitarium.
8: Why, he ought to be ashamed of himself. Why? A man should wait at least a week before celebrating. (laughs)
13: Good night. Don't be so smart. You might come home and find things changed, too.
8: Mm Mm-hmm.
13: Go on. Stay away from home for a month. Stay away for a year. See if I care.
8: I'm only going for one day.
13: Run all over the country. Go to Europe. Never let me know where you are. Just keep me sitting here wondering whether you're alive or dead. Blanche. Why don't you write to me, John?
8: <laughs> now listen to me, Blanche. You have only one object in mind, and that is to keep me awake.
13: I just want you to tell me you love me.
8: I love you. Now, are
13: you satisfied? How much do you love me?
8: How much do you need? <laughs>
13: Forty-five dollars. I saw the most stunning hat, John. If I get it, I'm sure I won't feel so
8: depressed. $45 for a hat? That's a fine cure for depression. That'll start one.
13: Women need those things to cheer them up. Look at Clara, my oldest sister. Every time she's in the dump, she buys a dress.
8: I figured that's where she bought her clothes.
11: <laughs> I'm not giving you $45
8: for any hat, and that's final. Now let me sleep.
13: Oh, I hate you. How my mother begged me not to marry you. She pleaded with me not to marry you.
8: Your mother told you not to marry me?
13: Yes, she did.
8: Dear heaven, how I've misjudged that woman.
13: <laughs> oh, you'll be sorry for this, John Biggerson. You just wait and see. Oh,
8: please, Blanche, I'm so tired and I have to make a 7 o'clock train. That means I have to get up before 6.
13: Why do you need so much time? Well, I have to pack
8: my suitcase, don't I?
13: You haven't got a suitcase.
8: Oh, I have, to. I bought a brand new one yesterday. It's in the closet. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I put it there last night.
13: I took it out this morning. Bye? Amos borrowed it.
8: Oh, Blanche, he didn't. You didn't let that weasel take my brand new suitcase. I've never even used it.
13: Don't scream, so you can carry your stuff in a paper bag. <laughs> paper
8: bag, my suits will get all wrinkled.
13: No, they won't. Amos borrowed them too. <laughs>
7: Oh, look, Blanche.
13: I see no reason for you to carry on like this, John. Blanche. Amos is going on a sailing trip with some very important businessmen, and he won't hurt your silly old suitcase. Blanche. He has to have something to bring the fish home in.
8: (laughs) He's going to carry fish in my suitcase, and I have to put my clothes in a gunny sack.
13: Well, stay home, then. I can't stay home. If you leave me here alone in this horrid house tomorrow, and I— All right,
8: to... all right, all right. I'll call Amos. I'll have him come over and stay here till I get back. Put the lights on, <laughs> honest Blanche. If I don't go on this trip tomorrow, I'm liable to lose my job. Hello, Amos. This is John.
11: Hey, Jacko. What's new?
8: Say, I, I want to ask a little favor, Amos. I have to go out of town tomorrow, and Blanche is afraid to stay here alone. Could you come over and spend the night?
11: What's in it for me?
8: What a chiseler.
11: Is it worth a double sawbuck, Jacko?
8: Okay, $20.
11: And all the bourbon I can drink?
8: All the bourbon you can drink.
11: And can I bring a couple of friends over?
8: Bring some friends.
11: Take a note. You won't back out,
8: Jacko. I give you my word of honor.
11: Okay, I'll be over tomorrow.
8: Uh, wait, Amos, when you come over, uh, uh, you might bring my new suitcase with you.
11: I might bring it, but I won't. Because <laughs> I already hocked it. Good night, Good night, Jacko.
8: Ooh, oh, how I hate that man. You see what you make me go through just because you pretend you're scared to be alone?
13: I'm not going to be alone. What? Mother's coming over to stay for the rest of the year. Good night, John.
2: Oh,
8: uh, <laughs> This is Donna Amici with you good days, good nights, and good luck until we meet again. Everybody's talking about Dreft, the greatest dishwashing discovery in 2,000 years. Dreft, D-R-E-F-T, Dreft. Procter & Gamble's sudsing miracle that gets dishes so clean they shine even without wiping. Yes, it makes even glasses sparkle like jewels. Dreft simply can't leave any streaks on dishes the way all soaps do. Why, with Dreft, your nicest glassware positively shines. Dreft is kind to your hands, too.
10: Get Dreft in the bright green package. That's D-R-E-F-T, Dreft. Remember, never before dream, yes, never before dream could any shampoo reveal 100% of the natural luster of your hair. Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon, and his orchestra.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by The Big Show. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer.